if only you could be everywhere at once. Tech Agriculture helps farmers manage uncertainty and stress by remotely monitoring their field crops and connecting them with timely agronomic advice. Traditional crop scouting demands precious time or experienced scouts who are in short supply. Today's growers and agronomists increasingly make use of aerial drones and satellite imagery for a view of the big picture in a field. Tech Ag bridges the gap by using electric dirt bikes to travel between rows or long sprayer tracks to collect high-resolution imagery that can be used to head off production risks before they develop into costly production challenges. Integrations with a growing list of farm management software partners allow growers and trusted advisors to view imagery on their preferred platform. For more information, visit their website at tech.ag. That's www.tecc.ag. Get peace of mind with remote, timely field and crop scouting imagery wherever you are, whenever you want. Tech Agriculture. Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today has testified on behalf of RCAF USA members before Congress and executive branch agencies, has managed numerous lawsuits on behalf of the organization, and is the organization's registered lobbyist. RCAF USA, which stands for Ranchers Cattlemen's Cattlemen Action Legal Fund and United Stock Growers of America, thank goodness you guys shortened it, <laughs> is the largest producer-only membership-based organization that exclusively represents U.S. cattle and sheep producers on domestic and international trade and marketing issues. Today, we're going to talk about what's going on with the Dutch farmers' protests and what the implications could be for North America. From Billings, Montana, I would like to welcome RCAF USA CEO, Bill Bullard. Welcome, Bill, and thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Chrissy. Thank you. So first of all, can you tell me a bit about your background? Well, I'm a former rancher from South Dakota. Um, I've been involved in state government with the Public Utilities Commission of South Dakota. Um, And I've made this full circle. I was once a cow-calf producer in the U.S. cattle industry, and and now I represent farmers and ranchers across the United States that raise cattle. Wonderful. And tell me a little bit more about RCAF and its mission. Well, RCAF is a national trade association, and as you indicated, the largest producer-only and voluntary-only cattle association. We have about 5,000 members in 43 states, and we exclusively represent the producers, the farmers and ranchers in the beef supply chain, and it's a multifaceted beef supply chain. But we, we specifically represent only the economic interests of the farmers and ranchers involved in the production of beef here in the United States of America. That's great. And you've been really vocal lately about the Dutch farmer protests. Um, Can you lay out what's happening over there and and why does it matter to U.S. producers? Well, first, let me give just a quick history in the United States. Uh, In just the past four decades, a little over a generation, we've wiped out over half a million independent cattle producers in the United States. We reduced, reduced the size of our cow herd by about 7 million head over that period. And we've shrunk the number of marketing outlets available to cattle producers. We've lost 75% of our small, independent, family-owned and operated feedlots in the United States. And our industry is amongst the, the most concentrated sectors in the U.S. economy. We have four meat packers controlling 85% of the fed cattle market. So our industry is shrinking at an alarming rate. Uh, the American farmer and rancher is, was once known uh, will no longer be recognizable in the future if we don't make some major changes 
because the industry is becoming so concentrated and industrialized that we're forcing the independent, the small and mid-sized operations out of business. Uh, and that means there's a, a, a big, huge effort uh, to control the production of beef in America. And of course, beef is, uh, is an extremely important protein source for America's families. Uh, and it's the largest sector of American agriculture. And right now, um, it is, uh, in, it's the target. And so with that background, with an industry that's becoming concentrated, industrialized, uh, with limited opportunities for independent producers, we look now at, at the Netherlands as what is happening. And here you have the government forcing a, a, a mandate upon the industry, the, the farmers and ranchers in the Netherlands. And it's a mandate to reduce nitrous oxide and ammonia uh, uh, by 50% or its use by 50% by 2023. So what they're doing is they're imposing additional production practices, standards, and costs upon the industry. Now, the first to be hurt will be the small and independent-sized operators in the Netherlands. The large corporate operations will be able to absorb the additional cost. So this is really an effort to weed out more and more uh, food producers in the United States. And now that means several things to the, uh, to the public. It means, number one, that we're going to risk food security. We're going to risk food shortages as a result of the inability of our independent farmers and ranchers to continue operating. But we're also going to uh, promote import penetration because what the farmers can't do in the Netherlands, of course, it's going to be imported from China or other places uh, that don't have such stringent standards imposed on their independent producers. And if you look back at what's really driving this, uh, it's, it's the World Banks, it's the Rabobank, it's, it's Unilever. Uh, it's uh, many of those are, are headquartered in the Netherlands. And so the Netherlands is ground zero for a concerted effort by the government and by private uh, private public partnerships to force independent producers to meet standards that are today untenable, that will essentially force them out of business. And the Netherlands government has acknowledged that, that many farmers in the Netherlands simply will not be able to comply with these new mandates. And so uh, this is a serious situation for cattle producers, particularly, but farmers and, and ranchers all across the world. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau also, he wants to impose drastic climate change restrictions on farmers, just like in the Netherlands. So why are these countries using the food supply chain of all things to push their agenda? Well, they're looking at the sector of the economy that is most vulnerable to this kind of pressure from either public-private sources or the government. Independent farmers simply do not have the wherewithal uh, to stand and defend themselves against this type of an onslaught. And so uh, it's cherry-picking. Um, they picked the easiest sector of the economy to force the mandates upon and then they provided a scapegoat uh, and they're pointing their fingers at the farmers and ranchers and saying, well, they're the cause of, of climate change and they're the cause of the, the pollution. But if you look back over this same period that we saw, we have seen a drastic reduction in the number of cattle producers. Uh, this is also the time where there's been some significant changes in how farming practices actually occur. And these aren't practices that were led by the independent farmers and ranchers. These are practices that were uh, uh, born in government policy and then uh, perpetuated through land-grant colleges and universities. 
and then in a more hands-on approach through um, county extension agents. I mean, they've been telling farmers that you don't have to rotate crops and you don't have to use your own manure and you need to become specialized and you need to begin the practice of monoculture where you plant corn on corn on corn on corn, you know, for years. Uh, And in order to do so, you have to supplement the nutrition in the soil and there you, there's the chemical and fertilizer companies that were promoting this. So the effort was made to become larger, to become more efficient through the use of, of artificial uh, sources like uh, pesticides and herbicides. And so we've increased the use of that in order to achieve uh, the government policy of planting fence row to fence row to, to, to feed the world. And farmers have complied. Uh, and, and there's really been no other option. And so now that we've reached this level of fertilizer use and and other chemical use, uh, and it's a level that was driven by government policy and public-private partnership, certainly not by the independent producers. And now you point your finger at the independent producer and say, well, you're you're to blame. You're the reason uh, that you've become dependent on these fertilizer sources uh, that that they now claim are creating a challenge for the the, uh, climate. So uh, this is a vicious circle, and the independent yeah. producer has been caught in the middle, and they're the least able to, to withstand uh, these additional costs. And uh, even today, you know, we've our cattle industry has seen depressed prices for over eight years at a time when consumers are paying super inflated prices for beef. That's and right. The problem here is it's uh, there's a bottleneck in the beef supply chain. The bottleneck is the multinational meat packers uh, that are controlling the shots. And they are limiting timely access to the marketplace for independent producers. Uh, and uh, we have a, they claim we have a short, uh, shortage of uh, ca- uh, slaughter capacity in the United States. And therefore, there's less demand for cattle. As a result, cattle prices have fallen. And at the same time, because there's fewer cattle, uh, consumers are demanding more beef. And that's driving the demand for beef. So consumers are willing to pay super inflated prices for beef. And so we are seeing uh, an anomaly here in the economy, and that is consumers paying record high prices for beef at the same time, independent family-sized cattle operations are dropping like flies. And uh, and now you add uh, this environmental issue, this climate issue, where uh, the producers are the the target. Uh, They're going to eliminate producers and claim that this is somehow going to benefit the citizens by uh, by saving a planet that the independent farmers and ranchers certainly uh, are not responsible for the, the de- degradation that has been uh, uh, identified. Right. Yeah. That that makes it the sad truth, I guess. It reminds me of the Hunger Games. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And and so what about the 2023 Farm Bill? Is it likely to help or hinder? Also, considering that that the House will likely flip in November, should that give us any hope? Well, we're going to have to just keep fighting uh, yeah. because, you know, we, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, I've personally been at this for over 20 years with RCAF USA, trying to preserve the, an economic opportunity for independent size uh, cattle operations across the United States. And uh, the, the fact is we've been losing. Uh, we continue to, to lose producers, as I've talked about. And so we have to make some radical changes. Uh, we have to uh, change government policy, and government is very slow to change, uh, very reluctant. 
uh, to do anything uh, to actually help and benefit the independent family-sized operators in the United States. And you know what's important is the American family farm system of agriculture itself was recognized the world over as being the most efficient producer of a abundant, affordable, and safe food supply worldwide. And now we've uh, gone through the past four decades where we've essentially forced those family farmers and ranchers out of business, and we've substituted them with the corporate model, uh, which is a highly concentrated model. So the industry has been changing for 40 years. The government has been promoting the change. We've gone to the government and asked for significant reforms to, to restore competition to the marketplace. And the government is extremely reluctant to act. And yet we continue to push in the farm bill. Uh, we've had bills introduced. One of the most important ones to consumers is uh, country of origin labeling. So consumers can decide which farmers in which country uh, are producing food to their liking. Right. And if they believe, that, as we do, that the American farmer and rancher uh, produces the highest quality, safest product in the world, we want the consumers to be able to distinguish that product with a country of origin label on the beef. Uh, and yet Congress is reluctant to even do that. And that's a common sense uh, approach that would benefit both consumers and producers. And yet uh, Congress, uh, we have a bill that's been introduced that would require mandatory country of origin labeling on beef so consumers would know where their beef was produced. Uh, and yet uh, we're, it's like pulling Keith trying to get co-sponsors on this bill. It's Senate Bill 2716 in the Senate uh, that we're fighting for. And so if we look for, well, what are the opportunities to change this? Uh, the Farm Bill certainly is a vehicle that we continue to use to try to impose or include the reforms necessary to restore opportunities for independent producers. Now, if we are going to make a concerted effort to reduce uh, the use of the fertilizers, the ammonia and the nitrous oxide, for example, then we need to prepare and put in place a plan to provide independent producers with an opportunity uh, to meet the overall objectives uh, without going out of business. And, and that uh, common sense approach to planning and, and a strategy has been completely overlooked. And again, that's why we look at the Netherlands because this was a, a rather urgent mandate imposed almost immediately. You have other governments, as you indicated, Canada, for example. But even in the United States, we have, of all things, the Securities Exchange Commission uh, that is in the process of promulgating rules to require publicly traded companies to report on their carbon footprint, to report on the environmental mitigation that is occurring along the supply chain. Now, what that means is the government will be passing on to the major corporations like the multinational beef packers, such as Tyson and JBS and Cargill and National Beef, which is now Marfrig. In fact, two of them are Brazilian companies. But it, the government will be passing on to these private corporations the ability to impose restrictions on market access. So, for example, uh, and you go back even further, and you're talking about the, the World Bank. You're talking about the ING Corporation. You're talking about Rabobank. You're talking about investors that, that want to invest uh, where we have environmental, social, and corporate governance uh, okay. that is meeting uh, the purported desires uh, of the investors. And so you will have the banks requiring the multinational corporations uh, to meet certain standards. You've got the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States that intends to do the same thing. And how, uh, you know, it's an imprecise measurement in terms of the 
the carbon footprint uh, that is that is in place here. Uh, but the the important thing is is you have the corporations can now say that in order to have access to the marketplace, you have to meet and re- and report on uh, these certain new environmental standards. And if you do not, you do not have access to the marketplace. And that's how you force independent producers out of business. And we have uh, uh, running parallel with what's happening in the Netherlands is what's called the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And here you have the world banks and you have the multinational corporations all attempting to dictate to the independent producer uh, the production standards they need to meet in order to have access to the marketplace. And so what is happening, instead of uh, looking in the future and saying there are new opportunities available to us, the threat is becoming greater and greater as each day passes. And uh, and again, that's why we stood up and said we support the, the, the Dutch farmers because they are at ground zero. They're at ground zero for an effort, a worldwide effort, to begin controlling the food supply and controlling those who produce the food. Um, and as you said, we're going to continue fighting in the farm bill. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's an uphill battle uh, when we're dealing with these multinational corporations and the lobbyists for these world banks. You know, we're up against some of the most powerful political and economic forces the world has ever known. And uh, we witnessed that. And so that's one of the reasons uh, that we have uh, jumped ship, if you will, and not focused exclusively on Congress or the executive branch, but we've used the third branch of government, the the judicial branch. And we have a a national class action antitrust lawsuit against these very packers, some of which are involved uh, in this overall climate change effort to impose new standards on producers. So we have a, a lawsuit pending in federal district court, and the lawsuit alleges that the four meat packers have conspired uh, to artificially depress prices paid to America's cattle producers while simultaneously inflating prices paid by America's consumers. And so we are on the front lines, if you will, in trying to seek reforms. Uh, and what's extremely important is every farmer and rancher out there. And when I say every, of course, there are exceptions, but for the most part, every farmer and rancher out there uh, is a a premier steward of the land. They want nothing more than to uh, maintain, uh, you know, the ability of the soil to continue producing, to maintain wildlife, uh, to maintain habitat, uh, to take care of the land so that they can pass it on for generations to come. And so uh, they should not be in the sites as they are in terms of uh, being designated the culprit in uh, in causing the climate changes uh, that that people are complaining about. Uh, We have to look at this from a more responsible and prudent uh, and common sense approach. And and the government certainly isn't doing that. And the multinational corporations certainly aren't doing that. So what we really need is we need the people's involvement. We need the people to stand up and say that they support the American farmer and rancher. Uh, They want to continue uh, with a family farm system of food production. They don't want it to be corporatized and industrialized. And uh, and we need to slowly turn this this train around. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And and to break it really, break it right down, why is globalization such a threat to liberty and independence? I think that's really what it kind of all boils down to and people need to understand. 
It certainly is, because any time that you, you take away the opportunities uh, to be successful economically and financially, uh, what you have done is you have uh, begun to impart control uh, over the citizenry. And in this case, you have farmers and ranchers who are fiercely independent uh, and have been. And you have both the government and these public-private partnerships trying to impose their will on these producers. Again, these producers do not have the wherewithal uh, as the large corporations do uh, to defend themselves or to, to make radical changes to their operations. And so it essentially um, it, it begins to it begins to do more than just affect their liberty and independence. It strips them of it. And uh, and that's the risk, is that if we do not stand up for uh, the rights of the citizens, the rights of farmers and ranchers to continue producing the, the best food in the world and doing it under the best of conditions, and instead you have uh, you know, closed boardrooms where the decisions are made as to who's going to be, who's going to be producing your food and who is not, uh, that's what's happening here. You, you are eliminating opportunities. You are, you are stripping the independent farmers and ranchers of their independence and liberty, and, uh, and you're putting the nation's food security at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are a lot of people out there that, that, oh, I don't like politics. Oh, I don't, you know, oh, I'm sure it's not so bad. Oh, I, they, I'm sure, you know, nobody wants to starve. They're not, but you know, I've read Klaus Schwab's books. I know what the mission is. Why do you think so many people are kind of treating globalization as a conspiracy theory when they've actually laid out all their plans in great detail and anybody that wants to look can just go and and look for themselves? So why why do you think that is? Well, um, it's difficult to to believe uh, that there are forces at work that are trying to dictate, you know, your everyday life and. and controlling the food, controlling the energy, you know, those have been conspiracy theories for decades. Yeah. And as you indicated, you know, all of this has been up front and out in the open. If people had been paying very close attention to what was happening uh, at the World Trade Organization, for example, and, and under some of the global trade agreements, uh, there is indeed an effort, a global effort to begin to standardize uh, production and uh, it, you know environmental practices worldwide, and uh, and those forces are real. And one of the best examples of that was when we did have country of origin labeling for beef. Uh, from a period of 2013 to 2015, consumers could go to the grocery store and find beef that was labeled, uh, you know, born in Uruguay, raised in Uruguay, and harvested in Uruguay. And, or they could choose beef that was born, raised, and harvested in the United States. Or they could choose beef that was born in Canada, raised in the United States, and harvested in the United States. We had country of origin labeling. But Canada and Mexico and the multinational meat packers supported the two countries' efforts to file a complaint at the World Trade Organization. And the World Trade Organization ruled that the United States constitutionally passed mandatory country of origin labeling law violated global trade standards. And as a result, they told the United States, you either repeal or change the law or 
we're going to authorize Canada and Mexico to impose retaliatory tariffs of over a billion dollars on the United States of America. And Mm -hmm. Congress folded at the behest of the World Trade Organization and repealed mandatory country of origin labeling for beef back in late 2015. And that's why consumers today can go to the grocery store and see a product that says product of the USA on a beef product. And in fact, that product may be a beef product that was exclusively produced by uh, foreign cattle producers in Uruguay and harvested there and processed there. Uh, And the reason for that is these same multinational corporations have convinced our government, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, to allow them to bring in foreign beef products uh, with a foreign label on it, bring it into the United States. For example, beef from Nicaragua could be brought into the United States, labeled as a product of Nicaragua. But it can go through a U.S. processing plant and they can remove the label on the beef throw the Nicaraguan label in the garbage, and then put a new wrapper on the beef product and slap a product of USA label on it. And that is perfectly legal uh, under today's uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture rules and regulations. And we've been fighting that for years. In fact, uh, we fought it and won when we got country awards labeling passed, but it was the World Trade Organization that caused the repeal of country of origin labeling in the United States. And now as Citizens call their members of Congress and say, we want you to restore mandatory country of origin labeling for beef so we know where our food is produced, so that we know our food is produced in the country with the most stringent health and safety standards in the world. Now their members of Congress will tell them, well, we can't do that because the World Trade Organization says that this is a barrier to trade. So there's a perfect example of how what once was a conspiracy theory is now firmly established as reality uh, that we are being dictated to by a global uh, tribunal. And and Congress is shaking in their boots uh, anytime that that tribunal uh, issues the edict. And so this is a serious problem. And so for those people who said, oh, this is politics, we don't want to get involved, we must get involved. Otherwise, others will dictate the future for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren. That's it. And what can people do? What, what's the call to action? What, what needs to be done? Well, they need to be firm, um, but respectful when they call their member of Congress and tell them exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. For example, they should pick up their phone and call both their, two, their senators and their representative and say, We demand that you restore for us the opportunity to choose where we want our food produced. You must pass mandatory country of origin label. And they should call and say, you know, uh, we value uh, competition. We value uh, our rights. We respect the U.S. Constitution. We don't think that there should be any other superior form of government dictating how we live our lives in America. We must begin to take control of our own destinies. And to do that, we must break away from this global governance effort uh, that is not just well underway. It's firmly established. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. And yes, everybody needs to do their part. It's time, right? (laughs) That's right. And it's, uh, it's an interesting, you know, new process for consumers and citizens to get involved in. Um, But after all, you elected them 
And now you need to ensure that they are doing what you want them to do, not what uh, the rabble bank in the, in the Netherlands or others setting around uh, uh, these global government governmental entities trying to tell you and your neighbors, you know, how to live your lives, how to produce your food. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the list uh, can go on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so I have one last question for you. Um, why do you serve the ag industry? What is your greatest passion? What did God put you on this earth for? <laughs> well, um, my initial belief was that it was to, to care for the livestock, the land, the air, and the water. And uh, as circumstances uh, played out, I now realize that my role is to ensure that today's farmers and ranchers, family farmers and ranchers, um, have the, an opportunity to be successful, to be economically successful, and to continue producing the best food in the world and continue doing it under the best of conditions uh, and continue to, uh, to enjoy and preserve their liberty and independence you know, in, in the best country in the world, and that's right here in America. But we have to make changes, and we have to fight for those changes, and that's what, what I believe I'm here to help do. Wonderful. And thank you <laughs> on behalf of, on behalf of the industry. Definitely. And where can people find you? Where can they find our calf? Well, they can go to our website at r-calfusa.com. We're on Facebook and we're also on Twitter. So it's r-calfusa.com or they can call us at 406-252-2516. Wonderful. And thank you so much, Bill, for joining me today. Great conversation. My pleasure, Chrissy. Thank you. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want to learn more, all of the links uh, and the phone number are provided in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight, YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Eggfuse channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode, where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Egg Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Ag is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com. Available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy... 
You can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.